Here we go. All right. Thank you all so much for coming. We are on, if you're following along in the notes, so we are on, we are on page 12. Page 12, and uh, actually, if you go back to page 10, the last three lines on page 10 is where we are. Last three lines on page 10. And uh, we started talking a little bit last week about this concept of sublimation in Chinuch, meaning that how is it that you could look at what's seemingly a negative trait, what's seemingly um, something that's not positive, and how could you develop the patience, how could you develop the kind of fortitude to be able to see this as a positive thing? And to be able to be, honestly, really, if I were to give a kotera, to give a title to everything that we're saying tonight is uh, the quality of patience with children, which I think is, uh, is at the root of, of almost everything that we're talking about. Um, and I think the greatest patience is what we talked about last week, which is the patience of recognizing the child is eventually going to grow up. And that comes from an identification with the child that we were all once children too. Talked last week about accessing an inner child when we deal uh, with children, with our kids, um, being able to get down onto the floor, being able to get low, being able to not just see ourselves as, as, as adults, as people who are lording over them, but as people who are able to identify with the child and understand a little bit what's going on in a child's mindset, which is a really important thing. Um, it's also important, I think, for our own psychological well-being. There's, um, there's these recorded lectures of Rabbi Shlomo Freifeld. Rabbi Shlomo Freifeld was the founding Rosh Yeshiva of Yeshiva Shoryashiv, I think one of the very first Balchuva institutions in America, in Farakwe. And it was originally a Mott Avenue. It's since moved to a nicer building. Um, famously, I think Bob Dylan was there for a few. Uh, he was there in Chabad. That's yeah, like uh, the, the claim to fame. Uh, Bob Dylan. Even more famously, I went there. You went to Shariyashim? Really? How long? I was there for 10 months before we ran out of money and we had to move. Oh, my gosh. I had no idea. Was Rabbi Freifel wasn't alive. No. no. Freifel wasn't. Rabbi Yeager was the rabbi? Rabbi Yeager. Rabbi Yeager was a great man. Um, my brother also went to Shayashiv for a little bit. Anyway, it's an institution in the five towns. In Shayashiv, Rabbi Freifeld had, was blessed with this incredible orator's voice, deep, you know, the kind of voice like I long for. I listen to myself for recordings afterwards. I'm like, there's no way I actually sound like this. It's terrible. Rabbi Freifeld was deep, raspy, you know, this commanding, this commanding voice. And when he said things, it really mattered. And Rabbi Freifeld said, um, and I think this is really true, he said that you find... You find sometimes some young people who are so, he said, like the, the, who are so old, who are so old. And you find some old people who are so young. We talked about staying forever young. And what he meant by that is that somebody that looks at themselves as constant learners or constantly looks for finding youth within everything, being spontaneous is even a part of this, being somebody that doesn't say that I am stuck in this particular opinion, and I'm not this particular kind of person, but I'm somebody that's subject and liable to change, and I, I can change, and I can look at things from a child's perspective, from the beginner mindset. So you could be, you could be in your 80s, you could be in your 90s, and you still remain forever young. You still remain, uh, I think one of the joys of Torah is that Torah offers that experience up constantly. It's the joy of Chiddush. I was, now in parentheses, within parentheses, but I've been doing Haggadah with Maggie's class this uh, this past uh, this past two weeks, and uh, you know, Mr. Giver's been uh, able to he's been privy to some of this. We're sitting around, and the goal is not for me to give them Devar Torahs this year, but the goal is for me, for me at least, I want to get something out of it to see the Haggadah anew. And we're going to come back to Haggadah tonight because I want to tell you about a particular discussion we had today in class and how it relates to what we're learning. 
but seeing it with beginner's eyes, right? I've, you know, I've been through the motions, I've read the Haggadahs, I've heard, you know, the quote unquote famous Perushim on things, but I never saw the Haggadah through, through a sixth grader's eyes until this year, to be able to see it through them rather than me give it to them to get onto their level and say, well, let's look at this with beginner's mindset. That's, that's what we've been talking about. That's the greatest patience of all. The greatest patience is to recognize that even though I've grown up and these children might have a very long time until they grow up, to not lose patience with that and to say this is a much longer process. We're not looking at a finished product right now and that everything that we're doing is, is in potentia, is looking forward to a future that we hopefully want to array for this child. Gananimheim. So we'll start with that. Uh, I want to make sure that I got this. Yeah. Gananimheim. Over here in this text, it has ganan. Gananimheim began Hashem la'avda ulishamra. God placed uh, Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, and the first commandment that humanity received was la'avda ulishamra, to work it and to guard it, right? If we think about our job of raising children and looking at, at children with this metaphor of being the constant gardener, is that part of it is that it's hard work. It's also protecting that hard work. Every time that we do something, we have to make sure that we solidify and we, we, we bank our gains, that we, we say, okay, we've gotten something, we've had a lesson, let's bank that, let's reinforce that, and now move on to the next thing. So, And even if we see sometimes children that from the outside, our children might see mari nefesh, our children might be very bitter, angry, right? This is something that comes up, especially in teenage years. You hear a lot thrown out about teenagers, they're angry, right? Or we see midot ra'ot lahem. God forbid we see negative character traits in our children or in our students. Yedush is a teva shel garinei what the Piazetzer says here is actually rather comforting. He says, it's not a deviation when your child displays challenging behaviors. It's not something that's out of the ordinary. We wouldn't be, it's the ordinary. It's to be expected of anything that's in a process of growth, of anything that's in a process of reaching some sort of a, a growth state. So before that ripens, of course it's going to be bitter. Of course it's going to present challenges. In fact, I think that this is the first step with everything. You know, when we work with teachers sometimes or when there's a difficult, challenging situation, one of the very first steps that you could do as a coach, as a parent, is to normalize and to say it is okay to feel these feelings, right? It, yes, it is, it is normal to struggle. Everybody does. I think that part of the lies we tell ourselves is that my struggle, of course your struggle is unique, but you say to yourself, I'm unique in struggling. That's not true. That's, not, that's simply not true. That's why it's so important to, to, to have people to speak to, to be able to reflect. Sometimes that experience is going to be the most powerful thing to say to somebody, I have experienced this struggle before. I've undergone that thing or I've seen this before. That's the job of adults, right? So when my kid comes and tells me that they had you know, some friend turn their back to them when they expected to be talking to them, I'm able to, as a parent and as a teacher, I'm able to draw an experience where I remember when that happened to me to normalize, say that's actually, that's a, that's a common experience. I know how you feel. I always talk to kids about the difference between empathy and sympathy. Empathy means, sympathy is I feel bad for you. Empathy is I feel bad with you because I've experienced this. So what the Biosetzer says, this is the tevla, this is the very nature of something in stages of growth. Right? It's very normal to see these growing pains. It's very normal for children to, like we talk about you know, certain grades. They say in high schools, I believe personally, high school, 10th grade is the hardest year. And I believe that in middle school, 7th grade is the hardest year. And then I also believe that in lower school, now every grade is hard. I believe that in lower school, 1st grade is the hardest year. 
Why are they hard years? Because there's some kind of big, profound transition going on, right? In, in seventh grade, you know, all of a sudden, you're no longer really, you have one foot starting to look at high school, right? Even that word starts to come into mind. In 10th grade, you're in high school, but you really don't know what you are yet. You, it's, it's only the next year that you start to think about SATs and ACTs and, and, and the world beyond school becomes apparent. And when you get into first grade and you bring home your first homework or you, uh, or you have your first fight about math homework, right? That's, that's, that's a big transitionary period. If that's going totally smooth for you, that's beautiful. But if it's not, the very first thing to recognize is that you are not unique. You're going through something that, that is expected. It is the very nature of a child in stages of growth to experience something like that. That's very comforting thought. This is extending the metaphor of gardening, extending the metaphor of, of, of you know, the, the, the farmer of souls, right? Is understanding that if I were to take, uh, we have Baruch Hashem, I don't know if I mentioned this thing, but I, the strangest thing, right? There's no, I told my students today, there's no coincidences. Our Rebbe in eighth grade, Rebbe Gershon Kramer told us, they're all cut incidences. We look at the world not as happy accidents, but ka, the name of God is found within all these things. God orchestrates the world. That's what Rebbe Kramer said. My eighth grade Rebbe said to me over 25 years ago, still sticks with me. I mean, it's an amazing, what an unbelievable thing to be able to imprint onto children like that. What tremendous responsibility also, right? We have a fig tree. I don't think it's a coincidence. It is incredibly difficult to grow figs. Right? It's one of the hardest things to grow. It takes some of the longest time to grow. There's a fig tree growing outside of biculture. Next time you come out to biculture, you can notice it because the boser, right? The, the, well, it's not quite there yet, but you can see it's starting to bud again. It's, it's not normal. I don't know who planted it. It doesn't belong there. And it's growing legit figs. I actually showed Mr. Giver. It doesn't belong there. Right? When we look at, if I were to try and eat those figs when they were green, you ever see sometimes you get from uh, Trader Joe's, you get, if I were to eat them in the Boser state, Boser is unripe, it's gross. It doesn't taste good. Right? You have to wait. You have to have patience. If you take things before they've ripened, so it will be bitter and, and it, will be, it will be terrible. But if you have patience and you wait, so then, you get to, then you get to eat koltov. He says, He says, He says, Barna, there's no such thing as a bad, he's, here he says Jewish child, but looks, let's explain, there's no such thing as a bad child. Now that's, that's full stop. There's no such thing as a bad child. Now where does childhood end? That's, that's a question that we can discuss, right? I think, uh, you know, there's, there's legal definitions of where childhood ends. There's halachic definitions of where childhood ends. There's certain ages and certain cutoffs. So I think for our purposes, we don't have to look for a hard and fast cutoff. I think that, that it's something that we get to the point that we recognize that when a child is able to forge out on their own or maybe even raise their own children, that's when childhood maybe has ended, right? But, but when we look at children, when we understand what, what, what we're looking with our own kids, at least the, all of us in this room, there's no such thing as a bad child. It's an incredibly powerful thought to stay with because... Sometimes, and it's one of the first parenting lessons people get, they, right, you say what you're doing is bad, not you're bad. And all, I've certainly slipped up and said, you're bad, or it's bad. It happens, right? Of course you mess up. That's part of this. But to recognize there's no such thing as a bad child is, is, is an, an intensely grounding thought. It means that wherever I go from, no matter how bad the situation looks, it means that my nikudat yotse, the, the point of departure, for all these things is recognizing that what I'm dealing with is not a bad, there are bad people, unfortunately, in the world. 
And there are certain situations, I always think of a, a very disturbing uh, novel and, and movie um, called uh, We Need to Talk About Kevin. You ever heard of this, this novel? Uh, we Need to Talk About Kevin. I, I used to teach it in SAR when we taught Sanhedrin, taught 11th grade one year, we taught Sanhedrin. And, and, and this goes, the, the Torah has a concept of the Ben Sorer Umora. Torah is a concept of the wayward and rebellious son. Notice, by the way, it's only a, a son. It's not a daughter, right? Sometimes you know, the question, can a Nazir be a man or a woman? Nazir be a man or a woman. Ben Sorer is a male child, male child who is wayward and rebellious. And the parents say, this child doesn't listen to us. And this child is actually, according to the Torah, the child is preemptively punished, put to death. A very difficult talacha. Happens to be the Gemara in Sanhedrin there. It says one of the rabbis came and said, I sat on, I sat on the very grave of a Ben Sora Mora right after the Gemara says, Lo hayav lo never existed. So why does the Torah teach us? Study this, learn these rules, all the idiosyncratic rules of, of this wayward and rebellious child. Study those rules and you'll learn something. So I always connect to that to, to, uh, to we need to talk about Kevin. We need to talk about Kevin's disturbing story. It's about a child. Um, it's about, chi- I won't, no spoilers. It's, very, it's about a child who is bad. It's about a child who is very, very bad. Right? That there's such a thing as, as, as imbalances, as certain things that, that cannot be escaped. So yes, there are extreme cases. Baruch Hashem, we, we don't even have to really think about them. There are situations, but the Torah even tells us when it's giving us a description of the worst possible child. The Ben Sora, a child so bad that the Bastin has to step in and stop this child before they go completely off the rails and damage society. Even that, the Talmud has to give us, the rabbis have to read that power of the Torah and tell us no such thing. Even though there's one opinion afterwards, one rabbi says, I sat on the, the, the grave of a Ben Sora Mora. The accepted opinion of the Gemara is that no such thing happened. Even when the Torah describes such a difficult child, the parents say, doesn't listen to us. Zolo Vasovic gluttonous is going, to, is going to hurt somebody. Even the Torah says such a thing never happened. So like this is almost like codified in the Talmud that there could be no such thing. But when we look at our children, no matter how challenging, no matter how difficult their behavior, there's no such thing as a child who is bad. A young child is bad. And also, by the way, very comforting thought. It's, almost very, it's very hard to imagine a situation. And it can be, of course. We hear about really terrible cases, sometimes really horrifying things. There could be almost no situation, I think, where a parent themselves is responsible for all the negative behaviors your child exhibits. Your child is a product, not just of your home, but of the world, right? We were talking with parents sometime, there was a bad word that came up in one of the grades, and uh, one of the moms came and said, it's me, came from our house, there's an older sibling, they learned that word, the older sibling passed it down. That's the pipeline, usually in lower grades. One, one kid is an older sibling, it's the older sibling who heard it from somebody else, passes it down, right? It's, but, but, but remembering and recalling that there's no such thing as a bad child is a really important grounding thought over here. He says, the great founder of Chassidut, the Baal Shem, the great lover of Israel, Tamid of Achrakin, Zechet Tzadikim Levracha, Tzadikim righteous, may their memory be blessed. We do see bad traits. We do see bad behaviors. We do see children acting out and, and doing negative things, infuriating us at times. But we have to remember that it's on us when we encounter these behaviors to be good adults to be good teachers, to be good parents, and to recognize that we have to know how to use these behaviors. When a child challenges us, right? A challenge means that it's a cudgel to be taken up and something needs to be done with it. Lemasha, and he gives an example, like a good educator, Piazzetta gives an example. He says, 
Let's say I see a Talmud in auction. I was called an auction a lot when I was younger. An auction is stubborn, stubborn as all hell. Doesn't listen. I'm telling you, for the, we talked about the umpteenth time last week. You tell them again and again and again, and they still, they, don't, they do not listen. They don't listen to what you're telling them. I don't understand. I've told you to put this in your knapsack again and again, and again louder, right? Now, the first thing that's upon us, parenthetically, is to recognize that sometimes the definition of insanity is doing the same thing again and again and expecting different results, right? Sometimes it's up to us to change it up. I say this sometimes. I've talked about my speeches sometimes. Now, when I give speeches to certain kids who've heard them before from me, right? And, and I've gotten good at these speeches. So sometimes now, I, I, like, I have, to go, I have to go into the meta narrative. I know that I've given these speeches to you before, and I know that speeches don't work. But still, I'm going to say, like, you almost like narrate your own challenge for them. That could be helpful also. I know that I'm asking you to do your homework for the 15th time, right? So we talked about last week asking, what, what are you communicating to me? It sometimes it's just a lack of focus. Sometimes it's sometimes the need to be guided. Sometimes you need to actually walk them towards it and, and, and help them do it. Other times it might just be that there's something else in their mind. Mom, I can't do my homework because I'm thinking of, of what I, that name I was called at, on the basketball court today. Or mom, I can't do my homework because uh, on my on my 15th TikTok account that you don't know about, um, I saw something horrible today, right? Who knows, right? There could be a million things, but sometimes instead of getting that immediate result of getting the homework done right now at this point, it could be a healthy tactic to say, let's divert, let's think about something else, talk about something else and maybe with a, with a flanking maneuver, we could get back to what we wanted to accomplish. Because I want something. I want you to do your homework. And you want something. You want to not do that homework. How do we get to that is a hard thing. Yeah, Wendy. I said, I did the, what were you trying to communicate to us this weekend? Mm. Oh my God, I, I wanted your attention. Seriously? Well, that's, uh, I mean. I said, well, like next time, just that, you know, maybe let's not go about it in the, in the negative way, but I was, I was appreciative that they were very direct with me. And That's amazing. That's, and, 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 and hopefully, I mean, you know this, but for everybody, for everybody else, when you do see a good result, when you see something that does work, it's on you. It's incumbent upon you to reinforce, 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 and to say, right, to, so we talked about catching being good a couple of weeks ago. When you see something that works, catch and being good, like, so, you know, something that we've experienced lately is, is we're trying to get our older daughter to speak kindly to our younger daughter at all times. And our old, there's an age gap between them. They have very different worlds. So, for example, today, a younger daughter um, was talking about uh, making banana um, something. I don't know what it was. Usually it just comes home something. It's, it's great. It's, it's usually kind of deformed by the, by after the bus ride home. And we're sitting in the car and she's describing these banana muffins that she made. And I see my older daughter. I see my older daughter who in the past would probably rolled her eyes at her. Right? Probably would not have responded. I see my older daughter and said, this was a win. Oh, that's cool. Right? So what I was looking at her in the front seat is, don't shut down conversation. Elaborate. Can I have some? Do you have any extras? How did you make it? That, that's a goal. That's what we want to get to. But even pointing out to saying, I like, I like how you said this. I like how you responded positively to your sister. You catch something working. It's just as important to catch something working and to, re- and to reinforce that, not just in the moment, but later on, as it is to catch something bad happening. Um, happens, part of the joy of being a teacher is that it's not just one child that's, or however many children you have in your family, but it's hundreds of children, 
Uh, people talk about the task of the educator. It's remembering this. And you can ask Trisha that we talk about this all the time. It's remembering, at, even in my, even one class, there's 20 different kids in this class. Each one has different history of behaviors. Each one has different needs. Each one has different backgrounds. Remembering this is the immense work of educators. Not always can get it right, but when you do get it right, it is immensely rewarding because you found something that works. You found something that is significant. I, I, yeah, I love to hear that. I was reading, uh, you know, it's nice to see how we like finish one section of uh, the Ferguson Library, move to another one. We're reading these books. Angelina... Ballerina? Dumbelina? Uh, it's about a mouse. I think the rats, actually. I think the rats, uh, which is mice. mice. Yeah. But, but the name of the vote was the rats. They're mice. It would be really crazy if they were rats. But it, so, so in it, Angelina, so here's, here's how it works. You can learn a lot from children's books. Angelina Thumbelina, and then we'll get back to Chovas Tamidim. Angelina Thumbelina gets a new baby at home. And Angelina Thumbelina has been practicing her ballet moves and the grandparents come in and the grandparents go straight up to see the baby. They don't pay attention to Angelina Thumbelina who just wants to show, who just wants to show them her pirouette. Okay. So she goes to her bedroom and she takes her ceramic ballerina, chucks it against the wall, shatters into a million pieces. And, and she starts kicking. And of course, everybody comes and they say, Angelina. And she immediately bursts into tears. And I just wanted attention. Now I pointed out to Noah I said, I don't know what the message of the book is because it worked. Her tantrum, right? Her tantrum kind of worked. So I'm not sure if they did the right thing. Uh, I don't know. Right to the author. But, but it, is, it is so clear in the book that why she's, I mean, the, the cause and effect it is a children's book. It's only 20 pages. The cause and effect of the tantrum to, to, to what had happened to the antecedent behavior is so obvious that sometimes we know ourselves. And sometimes we can run that conversation, especially with younger children, by offering them those explanations, helping them find those words. With older children, it's a little bit more difficult work, but it does happen sometimes. Sometimes you'll see kids, and, and they'll literally, it's happened to me before, they'll literally tell you, they'll say, I know it's not about the class, it's about, it's about this that happened last night, and oftentimes on social media. Like, like oh, almost without fail uh, in the last couple of years, it'll be something, whenever it's bad, something that happened on social media. I'll, I'll just take a pause and say something really unpopular. When I was, I don't know if I've mentioned this before, but uh, we just ran a social media um, a couple of sessions for our middle schoolers. I said to some of my students after, I said, you know, when I was growing up, and I'm not so old, right? When I was, feel old. When I was growing up, take this or leave it. When I was growing up, it was the coolest thing in the world when I had friends who had TVs in their room, right? Having a TV in your room was like, wow, I can't believe their parents let them have that, right? Now, sometimes kids are very responsible with it, oftentimes not. And that was a TV. And usually it was like maybe like cable, maybe like basic cable, and not more than that. And the, and the reason is because like when you close the door and, you, and you're there, it's unfettered access to a whole lot of things. Now, the TV, the content, right? Even, um, even certain channels late at night, the content was sort of like, it was at least circumscribed within a certain area. Like you could basically describe anything you would see on TV. A cell phone, which kids get from young ages, right? Cell phone is essentially unfettered access to far more than a TV could ever provide. Um, it, it still shocks me when something, it hasn't happened yet in, in, in our school, Baruch Hashem, and I hope it never does, 
But it shocks me when things like this would come up at places that have been previously. And I would ask parents a simple question. I would go, do you know your child's password? And the answer I'd get would be, no, it's their phone. And, and I would think to myself, I would want to scream. I would want to say, are you, in, are you insane? How could you do such? Th- I mean, that's, how could you do something? At, at the very least, I'm not even talking about filters. I'm not even talking about parent nannying apps or anything like that. How could you give your child unfettered access to everything? To everything. And then oftentimes you find when they're communicating, they'll say, oh, last night, you know, this kid was putting this in the, in the grade, in, in the third grade, what's in the break off from the break off of the grade WhatsApp, right? Or, or I saw this. Talking about uh, Israel recently, we were talking with students about Israel. I remember after Bella Hadid, who's a very popular uh, media figure, after she said something that, that could be very, very strongly anti-Israel, there were students that came on, that came to, cl- to class the next day and, and were, were, visible, were visibly disturbed. And I never thought that my job as a mechanic would be talking to my students about Bella Hadid's Instagram post, but, but here, here we were in 2021, right? That's sometimes, it's just the listing that at them. We've gone off course. Let's close all those parentheses. Let's continue. So it says, If you see a Talmud before you, a student or a child who's extremely stubborn, and the teacher or the parent is suffering from them tremendously. They're just not doing what you're asking. So it's upon the parent or the teacher to pause for a second and to be misboning. Misboning in the Hasidic thought implies a process of deep introspection, of measured, profound introspection. And imagine and think to yourself, what will this child be like if they went on a certain path and grew older and accepted upon them the yoke of Torah and the yoke of the commandments of service of God? Right? That's his model of success. What is service? What is positive behaviors? Let's broaden this just from service of God. What is positive behaviors using this character trait? So the child's stubborn. So the person is quick to anger, right? Is there a way that you could imagine this positively? The Talmud is a very famous example of somebody that's born under the Mazel Madin. Somebody that's born under the, the, the zodiac sign of Mars. Is that a zodiac sign? Is that one? Let's say, Mazel Madim, right? Mars, the, a red moon. So somebody that's born, born unto that. So they say that this kind of person in their, in their nature, and we could talk another time about the Talmud's relationship to the signs of the zodiac and what does that mean for concept of free will. But somebody that's born under that, so they said that person is going to be filled with a natural bloodlust. That person is going to be filled with a, a propensity towards violence, right? So what does that person do? The Talmud suggests... Thousands of years ago, they sublimate that they should become a shochet, they should become a kosher ritual slaughter, or they should become a mohel. That's a little bit of a scary one, right? They should take this potentially negative trait and they should channel that into something positive. So he says over here, what is akshanus? What is stubbornness? What is, what is somebody who doesn't listen? What is somebody who, who is very difficult to get to? What does that look like in a positive way? That's what the educator and parent can imagine. And he says, let me show you what, this kind of person will be unmovable. This kind of person will be somebody that is, that is steadfast in their beliefs and in their actions. It says, in fact, stubbornness is something that a Jewish person is to be praised in. If we were people who were just easily moved or just easily knocked over by everything when it's complicated or difficult, we wouldn't be around. Stubbornness 
And being steadfast in our beliefs is the name of the game. We talk about, we say, when we say slichos, we say, Ki even when Moshe Rabbeinu is, is, is expressing frustration, or God and Moshe Rabbeinu are expressing frustration at the Jewish people for their sin in the golden calf, they're described as an amkshe orev, stiff-necked, obstinate, stubborn people. But that's also a praise. The same way that they're so stiff-necked that they could be serving an idol at the foot of Revelation in Sinai. This is a nation that, that when they get it in the right way, when they have the right values and they have the right things, they will stand up for it. They will never be moved for these things. That's, that's, that's what this trait looks like in the positive way. And I think Itafka picks something that's probably the most difficult trait, stubbornness and then anger, which comes after it is, I mean, these are two of the hardest things you'll see in a child. There's nothing as painful as anger in a child, right? There's nothing as painful. You see it. There's different struggles for different years. I think as children get older, teenage years, anger is something that, that needs to be uh, contended with. As a child starts to recognize nothing more painful than somebody recognizing and living with their own limitations, right? And a child recognizes, okay, maybe, maybe I'm not going to be, it could be something, so I'm not going to be that champion athlete. I'm not going to be that uh, Nobel, you know, you hate to say it, I'm not going to be that Nobel Prize winning scientist. When I'm, uh, when I'm struggling with, uh, with intro to bio, right? There's certain things that person gets, person starts to know their limits as they grow older, and that could cause a lot of anger. That could cause a lot of raging at the world, right? And, and, and dealing with these two behaviors, dealing with these two traits, I, I almost think that it's, I almost think that it's, um, it's deliberate, that he starts off with probably the hardest behavior you see in younger children, akshanut, stubbornness, Right, closed off to the world. And then you see chaos with older children, anger. And he says that if, if we could see stubbornness as something good, right? So steadfastness and stubbornness can be essentially positive Jewish traits. We want to focus and hone in on that and say, you could use this for good. I believe in you. I trust in you. I don't want you, right? I don't want sometimes to think we, we have to change the child completely. We have, to, we have to knock that stubbornness out of them. That's not, that's not true. I'll, I'll, I'll say something from the Haggadah. We say that the Russia, right? So the child that responds to us in a way that's meant to, it's not the, the language, right? We've all heard the different It's not the language that the Russia uses because the language is essentially the same. Okay, so it's a change in words, right? But it's not that different from the Chacham. It's not that different from the wise child, right? Notice how there's no tzaddik child, Right? It's Russia and should be tzaddik. It's Russia and chacham. Chacham doesn't, he could be wise, he could also be a grace of Russia also. Right? Sometimes it's very wise Rishayim. The, the response that the Agadah says, it says, You have to hit his teeth. You have to knock his teeth out. Sounds violent. Sounds difficult. So I once heard that there's a totally different way to look at it. When the Torah tells us about the, tri- about the mitzvah of teaching your children, how does it describe it? How does it describe it? In the Shema. If to teach your children. Vishinantin Levanecha. Vishinantin Levanecha. You should teach your children well. Right? Vishinantin Levanecha. The word Shinantim, right, comes from Shinun, of teaching something over and over again. Mishnah, right, the central core of, of, of rabbinic law, is again, Mishnah is repetition, Right? Repetition again and again. Sometimes when we, when we go over a text that's very difficult, we say we're breaking our teeth over the text. Right? It's like they're breaking their teeth with it. I think that's actually very positive. Again and again and again until they understand. 
Again, don't lose patience. Again and again, let them break their teeth over it until they finally understand this. He says, what about the next paragraph? He says, and this is, by the way, probably will end with this. This is an essential teaching, not just for chinuch, not just for parenting, but for our own lives, for every aspect of, of, our, of, of all affairs of our humanity, I think. Let's say you have, you have the unfortunate opportunity to come across an angry child. Fortunately, there's, there's children that are quite angry. Frankly, they have reasons to be angry. Sometimes the reasons are very, very good reasons to be angry. Right? First and foremost, you can recognize, like, part of validating is recognize a child is actually entitled to their emotions. Sometimes as adults, we look at children and say, you're not entitled to feel that way. Child's, child's entitled to feel angry. Just as we're entitled. When we feel angry, nobody tells us. To, you know what never worked in history? Don't, telling, right. te- what's that? Telling someone don't be angry. Right, tell, right saying, looking to somebody, exactly right. Sounds, sounds like an educator, right? Telling somebody who's angry says, relax, has never worked, right? They're angry and they feel a right to their anger. I'm hot right now. Right? Telling, them, telling them, chill out or relax, right? or don't be angry or don't be mad, it ain't gonna work. Imagine if the next time your child is angry, look at them saying, validate, you have a right to be angry. What are you angry about? Right? You feel that feeling and tell me why you're feeling that feeling. I don't know why it is that when they're feeling love for us, mommy and daddy, I love you, or you're the greatest teacher I ever had, all of a sudden we validate the, we validate the living daylight. So that's why, of course, I, I, I know. Yes, I deserve it. We pat ourselves on the back. But all of a sudden when it's a negative trait, we can't, we can't accept that, right? There's, there's, something, there's something to be said for accepting the negative behaviors and saying this is just as valid and this is just as real as the other side of the coin. He says here, if I see some, a child that's a midas akas, that has anger, and, and I should say over here that kas, as bad character traits go, right? Kas is, I think, secondary to arrogance. Kas is probably the second worst of character traits. Kas, arrogance is like, right? The, the Gemara says on arrogance, This is God himself says for the arrogant individual, says we can't be in the same world together. This person thinks they're God. Okay, let him feel that way. I won't be with him. That's arrogance. Right under that, I think it's kas. The Gemara says that somebody that, that, that acts with the meat of kas, somebody that, that operates in anger, we've all seen it, that operates in anger. I've certainly experienced it myself, right? That when, I think I struggle with it tremendously, when they act in anger, right? When they act in anger, it's as if at that moment they're serving Avodah that's what the Gemara says in Mesecha Shabbos, I think on page 23 or something over there. It says that when a person, when in your moment, to think about the last time that you were really hot, that you were really angry. I had it this morning, right? I had a teacher and I explained to a class, it's okay to say. Tefillah is the most important thing to me. Kids know this, right? It's where everything that we're teaching, it's like my, my what are we doing here kind of moment. And a teacher came and said that there were four kids that were standing in the hallway and she'd asked them multiple times to come to tefillah and they came to tefillah about five minutes late. So in my head, I remember a conversation I had with this teacher last week where she, it's a great teacher, she had expressed frustration about something else and I was worried. I was worried about her. I was worried about how these two things came right on the tail of one another. And, and there was that situation in my mind. It was also like I talked to them. They know that I'm taking attendance. And in my mind was, how can you do this? And they came in, I, I don't yell, but I do this thing, right? So like if somebody's cutting me off, I say, right now, and it could be hard if you're a student, right? It could be really hard. Right now I'm speaking, 
you're going to wait till I'm finished because you really need to hear what I'm saying. Right? That's, how, that's how I'll say it. And it gets, it gets attention, right? Right, all of a sudden, and, and it's embarrassing, right? Right now I'm speaking. Shai, now you're my victim. Right now I'm speaking, you're going to wait till I'm finished. You're not speaking now, right? It's intense. And I got there and it was right at the beginning of the day and I told myself today's going to be, it's going to be a good day, it's going to be a good week. Last week was crazy with the play and everything. And, and I was just like, I'm not, I'm not starting off my day like this. I sat everybody down before Ashra at the end of Davening. I said, guys, I acted out of anger. I am sorry. It's really, I said, it's really hard for me to say this to you. It's really hard for, and I think you know also, I am sorry. I reacted out of anger. I want to tell you why I reacted out of anger. It's because I explained the conversation. I explained the series of events, everything that was in my mind that led me to be so disappointed in their behavior, right? So when you experience that chaos, even when you experience yourself, you know that at that moment, you're not thinking. There's no God at that moment. Might as well be nobody. Now that's a relatively minor case and I feel comfortable sharing because it's a minor case and ultimately our students look good and we look good. I wouldn't share something that makes it, no matter how honest I try and be. When you see a child in anger, the very first thing you want to do is you want to say, you cannot be like this. We want to stop that immediately. I think because we recognize that when they're in anger, they do things that they're not thinking. that's That's when the fists can fly. That's when the words that can't be taken back get said. That's when the damage can really get done. That takes a long, long time. So we panic. I said, I panicked. We panic and we want to stop this immediately. Stop this anger. We get angry at the anger. Says, says, I want to tell you, it is really bad when you see a child experiencing expressing anger. It's really bad. He says, let's not beat around the bush over here. This is a terrible thing. When you see a child doing this, are we allowed to say that this child is rotten? Right? This is a language from the Torah when God talks about people who are, who are rotten, twisted roots from the Shorish of the house of Israel, from the roots of the house of Israel. He says, do we decide at that moment? Do we decide at this age that this child is rotten to the core? Because they're expressing anger? Are we allowed to decide that this person, their very nature, is bad? Would we, wouldn't we laugh at a fool who went into an esrog, right? Somebody heard that an esrog is delicious. I don't know, esrog, even when it's ripened, apparently isn't so good. But let's say... Right? Let's say an esrog is delicious. Wouldn't we laugh at somebody that heard an esrog is the most delicious food and they run into the, the esrog orchard and they start eating from the rind of it and spit it out and say, is it disgusting? Wouldn't we laugh at the person and say, you fool, you got to wait. Or you got to take off the peel. What are you doing? Wouldn't we laugh at a person like that in a physical manifestation? So why is it that when we see a child act like this, we decide, we pigeonhole. Pigeonhole is a really important word I heard that used today. Pigeonhole a child. And we say that they're, this is an angry kid. I hate, I, I, I hate, see, there you go. It, it upsets me sometimes to hear, and I've heard teachers and other educators do this, that it might be that they act, we're all actually thinking the same thing. We might actually be thinking this is a bad child and want to say that, but don't, not even paying lip service to expressing it the right way. When you hear people just willy-nilly, a bad kid, an angry kid, terrible kid, not going to amount to anything. And sometimes when, I, when you hear that speech, you have to just stop. You say, I know you feel that way, but don't even express that. 
talking to myself mostly. I know you feel that way. You can't even express that. You're not allowed to talk like that about a child. We were told before, there's no such thing as a bad child. So even expressing, even allowing that become part of your tarbus adib, your culture, speech is forbidden. Not allowed to do that. Let's finish off over here. He says, Everybody would laugh at such a person. Why don't you just wait? Why don't you have a little patience? And then if you have patience in the right way, if you deal with child, if you deal with that anger in the proper way, eventually you'll recognize, you'll see just how sweet they really truly are. So we're going to continue next.